The ascendancy of AWS under the leadership of Andy Jassy was marked by a tsunami of data and corresponding cloud services to leverage that data. Now those services, they mainly came in the form of primitives, i.e. basic building blocks that were used by developers to create more sophisticated capabilities. AWS in the 2020s, being led by CEO Adam Salipsky, will be marked by four high level trends in our opinion. One, a rush of data that will dwarf anything we've previously seen. Two, a doubling or even tripling down on the basic elements of cloud, compute, storage, database, security, et cetera. Three, a greater emphasis on end-to-end -end integration of AWS services to simplify and accelerate customer adoption of cloud. And four, significantly deeper business integration of cloud beyond IT as an underlying element of organizational operations. Hello and welcome to this week's Wikibon Cube Insights, powered by ETR. In this breaking analysis, we extract and analyze nuggets from John Furrier's annual sit-down with the CEO of AWS. We'll share data from ETR and other sources to set the context for the market and competition in cloud, and we'll give you our glimpse of what to expect at reInvent 2022. Now, before we get into the core of our analysis, Alibaba has announced earnings. They always announce after the big three, you know, a month later. And we've updated our Q3 slash November hyperscale computing forecast for the year as seen here. And we're going to spend a lot of time on this as most of you have seen the bulk of it already. But su suffice to say, Alibaba's cloud business is hitting that same macro trend that we're seeing across the board, but a more substantial slowdown than we expected and more substantial than its peers. They're facing China headwinds, they've been restructuring its cloud business, and it's led to significantly slower growth uh, in, in the you know, low double digits as opposed to where we had it at 15%. This puts our year-end estimates for 2022 revenue at 161 billion, still a healthy 34% growth, with AWS surpassing 80 billion in 2022 revenue. Now on a related note, one of the big themes in cloud that we've been reporting on is how customers are optimizing their cloud spend. It's a technique that they use and when the economy looks a little shaky. And here's a graphic that we pulled from AWS's website, which shows the various pricing plans at a high level. As you know, they're much more granular than that and more sophisticated, but for simplicity, we'll just keep it here. Basically, there are four levels. First one here is on demand, i.e. pay by the drink. Now we're going to jump down to what we've labeled as number two, spot instances. That's our, like the right place at the right time. I can use that extra capacity in the moment. The third is reserved instances or RIs, where I pay upfront to get a discount. And the fourth is sort of optimized savings plans where customers commit to a one or three year term and for a better price. Now you'll notice we labeled the choices in a different order than AWS presented them on its website. And that's because we believe that the order that we chose is the natural progression for customers. They start on demand, they maybe experiment with spot instances, they move to reserve instances when the cloud bill becomes too onerous, and if you're large enough, you lock in for one or three years. And okay, the interesting thing is the order in which AWS presents them. We believe that on-demand accounts for the majority of AWS customer spending. Now, if you think about it, those on-demand customers, they're also at-risk customers. Yeah, sure, there's some switching costs like egress and learning curve, but many customers, they have multiple clouds and they've got experience. And so they're kind of already up the learning curve. And if you're not married to AWS with a longer term commitment, 
there's less friction to switch. Now, AWS here presents the most attractive plan from a financial perspective, second after on-demand. And it's also the plan that makes the greatest commitment from a lock-in standpoint. Now, in fairness to AWS, it's also true that there is a trend towards subscription-based pricing, and we have some data on that. This chart is from an ETR drill-down survey, the N is 300. So pay attention to the bars on the right, the left side is sort of busy, but the pink is subscription, and you can see the trend upward. The light blue is consumption-based or on-demand-based pricing. And you can see there's a steady trend toward subscription. Now we'll dig into this in a later episode of Breaking Analysis, but we'll share with you a little, some tidbits with uh, the data that ETR provides. You can select which segment, IS and PaaS, or you can go up the stack, et cetera. But so when you choose IS and PaaS, 44% of customers either prefer or are required to use on-demand pricing, whereas around 40% of customers say they either prefer or are required to use subscription pricing. Again, that's for IaaS. So now the further you move up the stack, the more prominent subscription pricing becomes, often with 60% or more for the software-based offerings that require or prefer subscription. And interestingly, cybersecurity tracks along with software at around 60%. That, that prefer subscription, it's likely because as with software, you're not shutting down your cyber protection on demand. All right, let's get into the expectations for reInvent, and we're going to start with an observation in data. In his 2018 book, Seeing Digital, author David Michella made the point that whereas most companies apply data on the periphery of their business, kind of as an add-on function, successful data companies like Google and Amazon and Facebook have placed data at the core of their operations. They've operationalized data and they apply machine intelligence to that foundational element. Why is this? The fact is, it's not easy to do what the internet giants have done. Very, took very sophisticated engineering and, 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 and cultural discipline. And this brings us to reInvent 2022 and the future of cloud. Machine learning and AI will increasingly be infused into applications, we believe. The data stack and the application stack are coming together as organizations build data apps and data products. Data expertise is moving from the domain of highly specialized individuals to everyday business people, and we are just at the cusp of this trend. This will, in our view, be a massive theme of not only reInvent 22, but of cloud in the 2020s. The vision of data mesh, we believe, Jamak Degani's principles, will be realized in this decade. Now, what we'd like to, to do now is share with you a glimpse of the thinking of Adam Salipsky from his sit down with John Furrier. Each year, John has a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the CEO of AWS, AWS. He's been doing this for years. And the outcome is a better understanding of the directional thinking of the leader of the number one cloud platform. So, we're now going to share some direct quotes. I'm going to run through them with some commentary and then bring in some ETR data to analyze the market implications. Here we go. This is from Solipsky. Quote, IT in general and data are moving from departments into becoming intrinsic parts of how businesses function. Okay, we're talking here about deeper business integration. Let's go on to the next one. Quote, in time, we'll stop talking about people who have the word analyst we inserted data, he meant data, data analyst in their title. Rather, 
will have hundreds of millions of people who analyze data as part of their day-to-day -day job, most of whom will not have the word analyst anywhere in their title. We're talking about graphic designers and pizza shop owners and product managers and data scientists as well. He threw that in. I'm going to come back to that. Very interesting. So he's talking about here about democratizing data, operationalizing data. Next quote. Customers need to be able to take an end-to-end -end integrated view of their entire data journey from ingestion to storage to harmonizing the data to being able to query it, doing business intelligence and human-based analysis and being able to collaborate and share data. And we've been putting together, we being Amazon, together a broad suite of tools from database to analytics to business intelligence to help customers with that. And this last statement, it's true. Amazon has a lot of tools. And you know, they're beginning to become more and more integrated. But again, under Jassy, there was not a lot of emphasis on that end-to-end -end integrated view. We believe it's clear from these statements that Solipsky's customer interactions are leading him to underscore that the time has come for this capability. Okay, continuing, quote, if you have data in one place, you shouldn't have to move it every time you want to analyze that data. Couldn't agree more. It would be much better if you could leave that data in place, avoid all the ETL, which has become a nasty three-letter word. More and more, we're building capabilities where you can query that data in place." End quote. Okay, this we see a lot in the marketplace. Oracle with MySQL Heatwave, the entire trend toward converged database, Snowflake, Mongo extending their platforms into transaction and analytics respectively, and so forth. A lot of the partners are, are doing things as well in that vein. Let's go on to the next quote. The other phenomenon is infusing machine learning into all those capabilities. Yes, the comments from the Michelographic come into play here, infusing AI and machine intelligence everywhere. Next one, quote, it's not a data cloud. It's not a separate cloud. It's a series of broad but integrated capabilities to help you manage the end-to-end -end life cycle of your data. There you go. We, AWS, are the cloud. <laughs> We're gonna come back to that in a moment as well. Next set of comments around data. Very interesting here, quote, data governance is a huge issue. Really what customers need is to find the right balance of their organization between access to data and control. And if you provide too much access, then you're nervous that your data is going to end up in places that it shouldn't, uh, shouldn't be viewed by people who shouldn't be viewing it. And you feel like you lack security around that data. And by the way, what happens then is people overreact and they lock it down so that almost nobody can see it. And so it's handcuffs, is data an asset or a liability? We've talked about that for years. Okay, very well put by Solipsky. But this is a gap in our, in our view within AWS today, and we're, we're hoping that they close it at reInvent. It's not easy to share data in a safe way within AWS today outside of your organization. So we're going to look for that at, at reInvent 2022. Now, all this leads to the following statement by Solipsky. Quote, data clean room is a really interesting area. And I think there's a lot of different industries in which clean rooms are applicable. I think that clean rooms are an interesting way of enabling multiple parties to share and collaborate on the data while completely respecting each party's rights and their privacy mandate. 
Okay, again, this is a gap currently within AWS today in our view. And we know Snowflake is well down this path and Databricks with Delta sharing is also on this curve. So AWS has to address this and demonstrate this end-to-end -end data integration and the ability to safely share data in our view. Now let's bring in some ETR spending data to put some context around these comments with reference points in the form of AWS itself and its competitors and partners. Here's a chart from ETR that shows net score or spending momentum on the x-axis and overlap or pervasiveness in the survey. Um, sorry, <laughs> let me go back up. The net score is on the y-axis and overlap or pervasiveness in the survey is on the x-axis. So spending momentum by pervasiveness, okay, or sort of share within the data set. The table that's inserted there with the reds and the greens, that informs us as to how the dots are positioned. So it's net score and then the shared ends are how the plots are determined. Now, we've filtered the data on the three big data segments, analytics, database, and machine learning slash AI. And we've only selected one company with fewer than 100 ends in the survey, and that's Databricks. You'll see why in a moment. The red dotted line indicates highly elevated customer spend at 40%. Now, as usual, Snowflake outperforms all players on the y-axis with a net score of 63% off the charts. All three big US cloud players are above that line with Microsoft and AWS dominating the x-axis. So very impressive that they have such spending momentum and they're so large. And you see a number of other emerging data players like Grafana and Datadog, MongoDB's there in the mix, and then more established players, data players like Splunk and Tableau. Now you got Cisco who's kind of, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a adjacent to their core networking business, but they're definitely into, you know, the analytics business. Then the really established players in data like Informatica, IBM, and Oracle, all with strong presence, but you'll notice in the red, from a momentum standpoint. Now, what you're going to see in a moment is we put red highlights around Databricks, Snowflake, and AWS. Why? Let's bring that back up and we'll explain. So there's no way, let's bring that back up, Alex, if you would. There's no way AWS is going to hit the brakes on innovating at the base service level, what we called primitives earlier. Slipsky told Furrier, as much in their sit down, that AWS will serve the technical user and data science community, the traditional domain of Databricks, and at the same time, address the end-to-end -end integration, data sharing and business line requirements that Snowflake is positioned to serve. Now, people often ask Snowflake and Databricks, how will you compete with the likes of AWS? And we know the answer, focus on data exclusively, they have their multi-cloud plays, Perhaps the more interesting question is how will AWS compete with the likes of specialists like Snowflake and Databricks? And the answer is depicted here in this chart. AWS is going to serve both the technical and developer communities and the data science audience and through end-to-end -end integrations and future services that simplify the data journey, they're going to serve the business lines as well. But the nuance is in all the other dots in the hundreds or hundreds of thousands that are not shown here, and that's the AWS ecosystem. You can see AWS has earned the status of the number one cloud platform that everyone wants to partner with. As I say, it has over 100,000 partners, and that ecosystem combined with these capabilities that we're discussing 
while perhaps behind in areas like data sharing and integrated governance, can wildly succeed by offering the capabilities and leveraging its ecosystem. Now, for their part, the snowflakes of the world have to stay focused on the mission, build the best products possible, and develop their own ecosystems to compete and attract the mind share of both developers and business users. And that's why it's so interesting to hear Solipsky basically say it's not a separate cloud, it's a set of integrated services. Well, Snowflake is, in our view, building a super cloud on top of AWS, Azure, and Google. When great products meet great sales and marketing, good things can happen. So this will be really fun to watch what AWS announces in this area at reInvent. All right, one of the topic that Solipsky talked about was the correlation between serverless and container adoption. And you know, I don't know if this gets into their, certainly their hybrid place, maybe it starts to get into their multi-cloud, we'll see, but we have some data on this. So again, we're talking about the correlation between serverless and container adoption, but before we get into that, let's go back to 2017 and listen to what Andy Jassy said in theCUBE about serverless, play the clip. Very earliest days of AWS, Jeff used to say a lot, if I were starting Amazon today, I'd have built it on top of AWS. We didn't have all the capability and all the functionality at that very moment, but he knew what was coming and he saw what people were still able to accomplish even with where the services were at that point. I think the same thing is true here with Lambda, which is I think if Amazon were starting today, it's a given they would build it on the cloud. And I think we, with a lot of the applications that comprise Amazon's consumer business, we would build those on, on our serverless capabilities. Now, we still have plenty of capabilities and features and functionality we need to add to, to Lambda and our various serverless um, services. So that may not be true from the get-go right now, but I think if you look at the hundreds of thousands of customers who are building on top of Lambda and lots of real applications, you know, FINRA has built a good chunk of their market watch application on top of Lambda and Thomson Reuters has built, you know, their, one of their key analytics apps. Like people are building real serious things on top of Lambda and the pace of iteration you'll see there will increase as well. And I, I really believe that to be true over the next year or two. So that was five years ago and Jassy gave a roadmap that serverless was going to be a key developer platform going for, forward. And so Lipsky referenced the correlation between serverless and containers in the Furrier sit down. So we wanted to test that within the ETR data set. Now, here's a screen grab of the view across 1300 respondents from the October ETR survey. And what we've done here is we've isolated on the cloud computing segment. Okay, so you can see right there, cloud computing segment. Now, we've taken the functions from Google, AWS Lambda, and Microsoft Azure functions, all the serverless offerings, and we've got net score on the vertical axis, we've got presence in the data set, oh, by the way, 40%, by the way, is highly elevated, remember that. And then we've got on the horizontal axis, we have the presence in the data set or overlap, okay? That's relative to each other. So remember, 40%, all these guys are above that 40% mark, okay? So you see that. Now, what we're going to do, this is just for serverless. And what we're going to do is we're going to turn on containers to see the correlation and see what happens. So watch what happens when we click on container. Boom, everything moves to the right. You can see all three move to the right. 
Google drops a little bit, but all the others, now the, the filtered in drops as well, so you don't have as many people that are aggressively leaning into both, but all three move to the right. So watch again, containers off, and then containers on. Containers off, containers on. So you can see a really major correlation between containers and serverless. Okay, so to get a better understanding of what that means, I called my friend and former Cube co-host, Stu Miniman. What he said was, people generally used to think of VMs, containers, and serverless as distinctly different architectures, but the lines are beginning to blur. Serverless makes things simpler for developers who don't want to worry about underlying infrastructure. As Solipsky and the data from ETR indicate, serverless and containers, they're coming together. But as Stu and I discussed, there's a spectrum where on the left, you have kind of native cloud VMs, and in the middle, you got AWS Fargate, and on the rightmost anchor is Lambda, AWS Lambda. Now traditionally in the cloud, if you wanted to use containers, developers would have to build a container image, they have to select and deploy the EC2 images that they, or instances that they wanted to use. They have to allocate a certain amount of memory and they have to fence off the apps in a virtual machine and then run the EC2 instances against the apps and then pay for all those EC2 resources. Now with AWS Fargate, you can run containerized apps with less infrastructure management, but you still have some you know, things that you can, you, you can, you can do uh, with, the, with the infrastructure. So with Fargate, what you do is you'd build the container images, then you'd allocate your memory and compute resources, then run the app and pay for the resources only when they're used. So Fargate lets you control the runtime environment while at the same time simplifying the infrastructure management. And you, gotta, you don't have to worry about isolating the app and other stuff like choosing server types and patching. AWS does all that for you. Then there's Lambda. With Lambda, you don't have to worry about any of the underlying server infrastructure. You're just running code as functions. So the developer spends their time worrying about the applications and the functions that you're calling. The point is there's a movement, and we saw in the data, towards simplifying the development environment and allowing the cloud vendor, AWS in this case, to do more of the underlying management. Now some folks will still want to turn knobs and dials, but increasingly, we're going to see more higher level service adoption. Now, reInvent is always a fire hose of content. So let's do a rapid rundown of what to expect. We talked about operate, uh, 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 optimizing uh, uh, data and the organization. We talk, talked about uh, cloud optimization. There's going to be a lot of talk on the show floor about best practices and customer sharing data. Solipsky is leading AWS into the next phase of growth, and that means moving beyond IT transformation into deeper business integration and organizational transformation. Not just digital transformation, organizational transformation. So he's leading a multi-vector strategy, serving the traditional peeps who want fine-grained access to core services. So we'll see continued innovation, compute, storage, AI, et cetera. And simplification through integration and horizontal apps. Further up the stack, Amazon Connect is an example that's often cited. Now, as we've reported many times, Databricks is moving from its stronghold realm of data science into business intelligence and analytics, where Snowflake is coming from its data analytics stronghold and moving into the world of data science. 
AWS is going down a path of snowflake meet Databricks with an underlying cloud IS and PaaS layer that puts these three companies on a very interesting trajectory. And you can expect AWS to go right after the data sharing opportunity and in doing so, it will have to address data governance. Just, they go hand in hand. Okay, price performance. That is a topic that will never go away and it's something that we haven't mentioned today, silicon. It's, a, it's an area we've covered extensively on breaking analysis from Nitro to Graviton to the AWS acquisition of Annapurna, its secret weapon, new special, specialized capabilities like Inferentia and Tranium. We'd expect something more at reInvent, maybe new Graviton instances. David Floyer, our colleague, said he's expecting at some point a complete system on a chip SOC from AWS and maybe an ARM-based server to eventually include high-speed CXL connections to devices and memories, all to address next-gen applications, data-intensive applications with low power requirements and lower cost overall. Now, of course, every year, Swami gives his usual update on machine learning and AI, building on Amazon's years of SageMaker innovation, perhaps a focus on conversational AI or better support for vision, and maybe better integration across Amazon's portfolio of you know, large language models, uh, uh, neural networks, generative AI, really infusing AI everywhere. Of course, security, always high on the list at reInvent and, 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 and Amazon even has reinforced a conference dedicated to it, uh, uh, to security. Now here we'd like to see more on supply chain security and perhaps how AWS can help there, as well as tooling to make the CIO's life easier. But the key so far is AWS is much more partner friendly in the security space than say for instance, Microsoft traditionally. So firms like Okta and CrowdStrike and Palo Alto have plenty of room to play in the AWS ecosystem. We'd expect of course to hear something about ESG, it's an important topic, and hopefully how not only AWS is helping the environment, that's important, but also how they help customers save money and drive inclusion and diversity. Again, very important topics and finally, Come back to it, reInvent is an ecosystem event. It's the Super Bowl of tech events and the ecosystem will be out in full force. Every tech company on the planet will have a presence and theCUBE will be featuring many of the partners from the serial floor as well as AWS execs and of course our own independent analysis. So you'll definitely want to tune into theCUBE.net and check out our reInvent coverage. We start Monday evening and then we go wall to wall through Thursday. Hopefully my voice will come back. We have three sets at the show and our entire team will be there. So please reach out or stop by and say hello. All right, we got to leave it there for today. Many thanks to Stu Miniman and David Floyer for the input to today's episode. And of course, John Furrier for extracting the signal from the noise in his sit down with Adam Salipsky. Thanks to Alice Meyerson, who is on production and manages the podcast, Ken Schiffman as well. Kristen Martin and Cheryl Knight helped get the word out on social. And of course, in our newsletters, Rob Hofe is our editor-in-chief over at SiliconANGLE and does some great editing, Thank, thanks to all of you. Remember, all these episodes are available as podcasts. Wherever you listen, you can pop in the headphones, go for a walk, just search Breaking Analysis Podcast. I publish each week on wikibon.com and siliconangle.com, or you can email me at david.vellante at siliconangle.com, or DM me at dvellante, or please comment on our LinkedIn posts and. Do check out etr.ai for the best survey data in the enterprise tech business. This is Dave Vellante for theCUBE Insights, powered by ETR. Thanks for watching, we'll see you at reInvent, or we'll see you next time on Breaking Analysis.